Christian church, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. With the goodness of God, when life is peaches, rainbows, and butterflies, but when we experience a near death experience, it's then that we realize that God has spared us. And, and it just, when you see the goodness of God, it just makes you want to run to Him. Amen? You know, there's a Bible verse that talks about it rains on the just and the unjust, the good and the evil. And what that means is that the goodness of God is for everyone, even the atheists, the Satanists, the murderers, the homosexuals, the robbers. It's not that God is approving their lifestyle, their sin, but the goodness of God falls on everyone, which is what that Bible verse means. That it rains on the just and the unjust. It rains on the good and the evil. Back when that scripture was written, they didn't have a, a, a Walmart. They didn't have McDonald's. With the rain was, you were dependent on the rain for your survival so that your crops would grow up and produce fruit. And so that means that God was good even to the unbelievers. Even to the wicked, he would provide food for them. Amen? I want to get in today about the goodness of God. And what is the purpose of God's goodness? The goodness of God is not comparable to anyone or anything else. Amen? God said, my ways are as far as the east from the west. My ways are not your ways. Amen? God is not comparable to a man. And a lot of times, people, they connect uh, God with religion. They connect God with an experience that they had at a church or denomination. God is so beyond what man is doing. Amen. His goodness goes, it surpasses people. It's not to say that there are not people that do good. There are a lot of people that do good. In fact, I uh, accuse the mainstream media for not showing the goodness of people. See, a lot of times the news only exploits uh, racial division, racial problems, and it, and it puts a narrow lens on one isolated incident and is oblivious to all the goodness that takes place. See, on every winter in Cleveland, because that's where we worked, that's where our church was, uh, came from birth, if you word it that way, um, in Old Brooklyn, but in every winter I spent the last a dozen years in Old Brooklyn and Cleveland, and I would see a, a black person's car get broken down, and I would see a bunch of white people come behind the car and push the car into safety or get them unstick, or vice versa. I would see a, a white person's car get broken down. And I would see a bunch of black folks with hoodies on and chains and gold teeth, and they would surround the car and push the... I've, I've literally seen I've done it. I watched someone get, get uh, shot with a Nerf gun, for children's sake, nine times, and I was out there and I helped. Right? None of these things make it to the news because they want to show a certain image. But the reality of God is that there's goodness going on all around us. We just don't see it if we only get our information from the news. But if you open your eyes and you look around, you can see God's goodness takes place everywhere. 
And it is not comparable to anyone or anything else. Cars will fail you. Governments will fail you. Religions will fail you. Family member, family is great. Family is a gift from God. But a lot of people have been deeply wounded by family. Even the greatest people that I know, if you catch them when they're hungry. See, I used to work with a group of individuals that they were the sweetest people. They were so sweet, they were just shy of walking on water. But let them go without food for a couple hours, and these sweet people, they turned into day walkers. Daywalkers are those vampires that they have a genetic modification that they come out during the day. Regular vampires, they can't come out during the day, only at night. I, I work with some daywalkers when they didn't eat. They got hangry. I actually would skip my break so that they could be fed so that the rest of my day would be peaceful. Myself, I could be the sweetest, nicest person. Nobody's nicer than I. But if you catch me on a day where I didn't sleep, and you talk too loud first thing in the morning, <laughs> Pastor Joseph's as sweet as he wants to be. He's so sweet and kind and friendly. He's like genius, uh, Jesus Jr. Catch me on a day where I was up all night and I have to get up early. And I work in an optical. Most of you know that as well from pastoring. And sometimes we get unsensitive patients that barge in. First thing, I'm still putting the sign outside. I'm turning the lights on. They bust on in. Demand, yak, 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 yak. I didn't even have a cup of Joe yet. Yak, yak, yak. Just screeching voice. And I have to tell him, one moment, please. Let me take my jacket off. Let me turn the heat on. We play the fish at work. Let me put the radio on it, at least. See, Anyone, even the best of us, we could be caught on an off day. But you see, God does not act like that. God even said this, if I was hungry, I would not even tell you. That's a scripture. If I was hungry, I would not let you know. See, God's goodness goes beyond the flesh and the carnality of mankind. God's goodness is beyond our understanding. And see, sometimes we want to isolate God's goodness based on what we work for, based on what we earn, based on what we deserve. God's goodness goes beyond the natural mind. If I was God, I would have destroyed me 20 years ago. I would have never, the stuff that I used to do before I was a Christian, if I was God, I would have blew me up. 
the disrespect that I did towards the church, the Christians, the Bible, I'd have been like, oh, okay, poof, done. But God's goodness goes beyond. In Mark 10, 17, it says, And when he was gone forth the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master. It's interesting that this rich man called Jesus good. But sometimes people will call God good not because he is good or recognizing his goodness, but simply trying to manipulate him the way they try to manipulate people, thinking that if they praise him, they can use God. And that's what this guy wanted. He wanted to use God. Because if you recognize the total goodness of God, there is absolutely nothing that you will not do for him. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. And that would have been the rich rulers. That would have been his cue to say, Yeah, you are God. You are good. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm not God. He wasn't saying, I'm not good. I'm not God. He was simply saying, you're calling me good, but you don't really know who I am. You don't really know my goodness, because if you knew my goodness, you would follow me at all costs. You would be willing to give up everything, knowing that if you did, I would return a hundredfold. You see, a lot of folks are not able to give their tithes and offerings to a church because they don't understand the goodness of God. God is not a tax agent where he just collects your money and gives you nothing in return. You cannot outgive God. Amen. And we're going to go into the scriptures of the goodness of God. God is not a slot machine that you put money in it and you turn it and you might get a better return. Let's look at the goodness of God. If we focus on the goodness of God, we will make our life revolve around him. You see, I owe God my everything. Me, me going to church, that is the least that I can do for the Lord. The bare minimum least. That's, that, that's the minimum. I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to go out into the highways and the byways. I'm going to go out into the prisons, the nursing homes, the street corners, Walmart. I'm going to go into the fa my family, my friends, my work, and I'm going to share the goodness of God to whoever has an ear to hear. And I think some folks, they give God a little bit I think, let me, let me say it this way. I believe some folks, they give God 
to the restriction of the goodness that they hold them to. In other words, if you only feel a little bit that God is just a little bit good, that's how much you give them. But if you feel God is good, 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 like Campbell's soup, mm, mm, good. And if you know that he is better than Campbell's soup, Mm, mm, good, then you're going to give them your whole heart, your whole soul, all of your time, all of your resources, because technically it's all his anyways that he has entrusted with us. Pastor Joseph, you sound fanatical. Maybe so. But that's because he's been fanatically good towards me. Maybe I do sound a little extreme. But that's only because he has showed extreme love towards me. That's only because he's given me extreme forgiveness and extreme grace an extreme mercy that I could not earn, I did not deserve, but yet I'll take it. And Mark 10, 21, it says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Now this is interesting. This right here, the order of which it's written, it shows that Jesus loved him before he left him. It shows that Jesus loved him before he knew that he was going to walk away from him. You see, Jesus made an effort to let him know I, th that Jesus loved him. Jesus knew that he was not going to give up. Jesus knew that he was going to depart from him. Jesus knew that he was going to abandon him. Jesus knew that he had the love of money. He knew that he loved his resources that God gave him anyways more than God. And even in spite of that, it says Jesus beholding him. I've got to tell you folks, when Jesus beholds you, he knows your flaws. He knows your mistakes that you've already done, that you're doing, and that you're yet to do. The Bible says an extreme statement, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Died for us not to approve our sin, not to justify our sin, not to minimize our sin, not to give us a license to keep sinning, but to show that his love was so great that even while we were yet sinners, he still died for us. Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross, and follow, him, follow me. And he was sad at that saying. See, folks, when God tells you to do something, it's never to oppress you. It's never to rob you. 
It's never to destroy you. It's only to test your faith so that without faith, it's impossible to please God in the act of faith. It opens up the goodness of God to rain down on you. But he wants to see, do you have faith? Because the more you know how good God is, the easier it is to do what he asks of us to do. Now, if you don't quite trust him, I can see this rich man. He walked away sad because he's like, you know, I don't know about you, Jesus. I heard about you that you've done a couple miracles here and there. I heard about some goodness that you've done, but I don't quite know about you. I know about my money. I trust my money. I know that if I invest into certain businesses, I'll get a tenfold uh, 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 blessing that will come. I know that if I trust my money in some businesses, that if I give into that, I know it'll come back to me. But you, Jesus, I don't quite know about your goodness. He didn't know about the goodness. That's why in the beginning Jesus said, Why callest me thou good? He said, Whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor that thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come take up the cross and follow me. And he said that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Every time we serve God, we open up God's goodness to rain down on us. Now I talked about it rains on the just and the unjust, it rains on the good and the wicked, that's what the Bible says. But if you look at Amos 4, 7, which I don't have it. You have to look it up on your own. Amos chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It talks about God isolating rain. You see, in Israel, there's two different types of rain that takes place in Israel. There is a rain that covers the entire country of Israel, and then there is an isolated rain that if you want to receive the out of the God, you have to put yourself in a position where that rain is so that you can receive it. You see, God has an extra goodness for certain folks that are in the right place that God called them to be. When you position yourself to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there is a rain that is isolated for us. You know, when I was a small child, I saw the weirdest thing happen one time. And I've only seen it one time in my life. I've never seen it again. And that is the rain was actually divided over the house. And I looked in the front yard, and it was sunny, blue skies, not a drop of rain. And then I went into the backyard, and I saw that it was pouring down rain. It was dark skies. And the rain actually divided right over the house. You see, God has a dividing line where he separates the wolves from the sheep, from the goats, from the lambs. There is a difference. My wife asked me the other day, 
She said, what was the worst thing that you experienced since you've been a Christian? I've been serving God since 2002, and, and I've experienced a whole lot of troubling things before I was a Christian. And even after being a Christian, the Bible says persecution comes to all those who follow Christ. And my wife asked me the other day, she said, what was the worst thing that happened to you since you've been a Christian? Uh, was there more trouble serving Christ or more trouble without Christ? And I started to think about that. And even my worst moment that I could remember as a Christian does not compare to my worst moment before I was a Christian. Do you understand that? There's something different that when you have Christ, that there is going to be troubles and trials and challenges and pain and suffering, but it's different the way that you perceive it when you have the Holy Spirit down inside of you, when you have a hope that goes beyond this life, when you have a peace that passes all understanding, when you know that your help comes from above. It is different when you are a child of God and you are walking in the anointing of God and the Word of God. It is different when you go through things than without Christ. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's the goodness of God. He didn't say, I'll kidnap you, hold you hostage. You could never leave me. Although you can find that in 2 chapter 13, verses 2. Second opinions, but not in the Bible. Every time we serve God, we open up God's goodness to rain down on us. In Mark 10, 29, Jesus answered. We're still talking about the rich man that walked away sad. It says, Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that have left house or brethren or sistren or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's. Now, he's saying nobody has done this. He's not saying no one has done it. He's saying no one has done it that has not received this. Amen. No, someone say nobody. 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 If I could sing, there's a gospel song that says nobody but you, nobody but the Lord. I can't sing. I mean, I can sing, but I should not sing. I ought not to sing. I'm going to leave the singing to that gentleman. Look at what it says. There is no man that have left house or brethren or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and land and persecutions with persecutions in the world to come eternal life. And look at what he says. He said both now in this time and in the world to come of eternal life. Do you understand that? Amen. You see, the sad thing is that that rich man who had all the possessions... He didn't get to hear that. He didn't get to hear that. He walked away from Jesus before he could. He made a judgment on what Jesus was saying where he got robbed of the rest of what he was saying. He said, sell all you have. Give it to the poor. He was like, okay, I'm good. 
Peace out, Jesus. He left. He didn't even let it. Have you ever, have you ever had someone cut you off and they have a know-it-all spirit? I'm talking about they know everything. They Googled what you were going to say before you even finished saying it, and they thought they knew what you were going to say, and you weren't even going to say what they thought you were going to say, but they know everything, and you just let them be. You allowed them to leave in confusion, or you allowed them to misunderstand you because they had so much pride they know everything. I can't tell you how many people I run into that know everything. I'm talking about they know. And you know, I realize that most of the people who know everything about God, know everything about the Bible, know everything about church are the people who never go to church. And, which is cool, but they want to teach me everything about everything like I know nothing. Look at what he said. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. And who would receive? Just a few people? He said everybody. All. In other words, when you, whatever you do that God asks you to do, he will never forget you. Man, folks, when I started serving God, if you could see how poor and broke I was. And I got to tell you, when I was poor and broke, nobody listened to anything that I had to say. I'm telling you, I was equally as anointed, more powerful, humble. I was the same person, but nobody cared. All they saw, I was broken. They wouldn't listen to me. Now I got some people listening to me that would have never gave me the time of day. Why? Because I'm doing better than they are. And how are they going to tell me when I'm, well, you know, Pastor Joseph, you got it all wrong. You're doing way better than me in every area of life, but you got it all wrong. Have I never heard that one ever yet? <laughs> I did a sermon called People Listen to Success. The gospel is not, in my opinion, prosperity, but it's also not poverty either. Amen. God could use certain things to grab people's attention so that you give him the glory for everything that God has done. Without God, I would have nothing. I would be nothing. Everything that I have and am is because of God. It's because of his goodness. It's because of his goodness. God set me a hundred years ahead of time. He set me a hundred. See, a lot of times folks think that, well, I, would, I understand. I would give God certain things. I would give him my time. I would, I would serve him. I would sacrifice. I would pick up my cross and follow him. But I don't got time for that. You, here, the way God works is that when you set aside time for God, he also gives you a hundredfold more time. He could extend your life. He can maximize that what the things that you touch, they prosper. See, when, I, when we first opened up our optical business, they were like, Pastor Joseph, you got to work seven days a week. Man, we're short. 
I shouldn't say this, but this is the truth. We only work four days a week. People hate us. Our schedule is we're only there Monday through Thursday. And we still put food on the table. Why are we doing that? Because we're putting more time towards God now. Life is not all money and work. You see, when you put time for God, I'm telling you, and this is not something about a theology school, theology degree. This is not about hermeneutics, hemolytics. It's not about academics and intelligence. This is about an experience from God that if you can learn to not be like that rich man and cut Jesus off before he finishes saying and start to uh, give what you have unto the Lord, I'm telling you, he can bless what you have. Just like he did with the two fish and the five loaves, he fed a multitude. He maximized the little that he had and performed a miracle. Amen. We started this church with six people. Here, six people. And even before that, I started the church in my apartment with just Brother Larry. Just, just me and Brother Larry. We were rocking it out in the apartment. And I was preaching the same way in my apartment with just me and Brother Larry. You see, everything that I was doing, I was giving to God. And, and if you can learn to establish a behavior or a pattern, you, you start to see and experience. It's one thing if I tell you about the goodness of God. It's another thing when you start to experience and taste and see that God is good. And you start to see God put his hand on your life. He starts to bless you out of control. I want to talk to you today about the goodness of God. The goodness of God falls on everyone. Amen? That does not mean everyone's going to heaven. I wish I could prop a lie, but I can't. I wish I could preach peaches, rainbows, and butterflies, but I can't. The Bible says that the road to destruction is broad and many be that go in. But that doesn't mean that God is not good. It just means that some folks are not in touch with his goodness. Well, God loves everyone, so why do people go to hell if God is love? That's a question. A legitimate question. If God is so loving and so is so good, then why do people go to hell? And does he love the people that go to hell? My answer is yes. He even loves the people that go to hell, but he does not force folks to accept Jesus Christ. He doesn't force people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. He allows people to choose. He has blessed us with free will. But that does not negate the goodness of God. His goodness falls on everyone. And I'm a witness to it because when I was, man, I can't tell you how bad I was before I was a Christian. I can't tell you how bad I was before I was a Christian and how many times God spared my life. Even as an atheist, I saw the goodness of God. I literally had people telling me, I don't know who you are, but there's something special about you. They were telling me this as an atheist. 
And they're like, I don't know who you are, but God has a plan for you, and he just spared your life, and you should have died. I was hearing these things as an atheist. They didn't even believe in God. And I had people telling me that God is good to me. But I did consider it for a moment. In Luke 17, 11, it says, And it came to pass, and he went to Jerusalem, and what he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and he entered into the certain village, and there met him ten men that were lepers, and which stood afar off, ten lepers stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And I always appreciate the order in which this scripture is laid out. As they went. In other words, as they heard the word of God. As they received the word of God. As they obeyed the word of God. As they did what Jesus told them to do. They were cleansed and not the other way around. They weren't out of rebellion against the word of God. They weren't resisting the word of God. They didn't tell Jesus to shut up, stop talking about me. Who are you? Tell me what to do. No, they, they, they were in a place of desperation. And I found out that when we're in desperation, we are in a perfect position to hear from the God, from Jesus, in a more intimate way. And these folks started to live the word of God. They received the word of God. They heard the word of God. They started to walk out and walk in the word of God. And as they went, as they went, it says, it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And folks, we can't just glaze over this scripture. These were folks that were ostracized from society. They were no longer allowed to see their family members. They were no longer allowed to work and perform in society. They were not even allowed to come in contact with other humans. They were permanently quarantined. With no hope. And Jesus, knowing all that, said, go show yourselves to the priest. Which technically, doing something like that might not have seemed like a big deal. But you showing yourself to a priest as a leper was a death sentence. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Why? Because the priest knew the law more than anyone else. And if you went and showed yourself to a priest, you were to be stoned to death. And Jesus was telling them to go get stoned to death if you want to be made whole. Do you know what kind of no sense that made? Do you know what kind of no sense that made? Sometimes God, in order to exercise his goodness on you, he will tell you things that are absolutely insane. 
And I have just too many testimonies and too little time to tell you all the times where God has told me to do things that were ludicrous. But yet I did them and boom, miracles birthed out of them. When we encounter the goodness of Jesus, we have to give him praise. Amen. Man, I had to hold back during that last song, Heaven Come Down. I almost did a victory lap in church. Amen. I don't know if it was the Reese's sweatshirt that held me back. I got to blame it on something. But man, I'm telling you, when the goodness of God, man, sometimes you just have to shout hallelujah. When you think of the goodness of God. Folks, sometimes we live in a day and age where we are bombarded with information. Everything is Google. Everything is Facebook. Everything is YouTube. Everything is TV. Everything is social media. We're just bombarded with information. But we need to be equally and more bombarded with the goodness of God. We need to be bombarded with the word of God. We need to be saturated with thinking, meditating. All of you folks need to dedicate a minimum of one day with the Lord. Minimum. You need that for your own sanity. You go out to this world. You, I, I told you that we're gonna we're gonna be doing uh, some very simple. I don't I don't want to call it a, a, a street evangelism for dummies, but we're gonna be doing some like basic unexcusable street preaching evangelism classes where like everyone I'm talking about bring six-year-olds in six-year-olds will be evangelizing when they're done with this class and that's not to degrade the class but I, I want it to be where everyone feels confident and to be able to give out uh, the uh, tracts testimonies prayer evangelize and point people to Jesus I look at those folks in Marks. Man, if I could have ripped my eyes out, I would have. And I understand why they're upset, why they're unhappy. Why Par In Parma Heights, Marks off of Pearl Road, they look so unhappy. And God said, that's nice. Now what are you going to do about it? Well, unhappy people, believe it or not, are perfect people to receive the word of God because what they're doing ain't bringing them joy. So maybe give them something that they're not doing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you. And I heard a pastor say a lot of church growth is, is, is church hopping, going from one church to the next. That ain't growth. Growth is reaching out into the world and snatching back souls into the enemy's camp and bringing them into the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Now, I don't want to reach into other people's churches and try to snatch souls and, from uh, uh, other churches. That's not my goal. Although with no conviction and no guilt, I will reach into the Catholic church and steal as many souls as I can because they ain't right. No, that, that, that's soul winning right there. Reach out into the Catholic. That's a ministry in itself. Got to move forward. When we encounter the goodness of Jesus, we have to give him praise. Have, I have to. 
And Luke 17, 15 says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back with a loud voice and glorified God. You see what I like? I want to focus on the cup of water of being half full. You know, sometimes, folks, we don't need to worry about the other night. We're sisters so-and-so. They should be here today. No, you're here giving God the glory. Amen. I can't live my life worried about the other nine that didn't see the goodness of God. I can't understand them, can't comprehend why all ten of them didn't come back and worship Jesus. But I want to be that one out of ten that's going to give God the glory, that recognizes the goodness of God, that realizes that he changed my life. He gave me hope where there was no hope. He gave me healing where there was sickness. He gave me love where there was damage. He gave me peace where there was fear. I want to talk to you today about the goodness of God. God's number one desire is for everyone to repent in Jesus and access eternal heaven. The goodness of God is that none should perish, that all shall come to the knowledge of saving grace. That's the goodness of God. And 2.4, it says, O despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, folks, you heard the message that I preached the other day about seven methods of deliverance. Sometimes God uses chastening. Sometimes he uses judgment. There's other ways that bring people to repentance. But right now, that's not today's sermon. Amen? I give a balance. Amen? I don't, every message is not Reese's peanut butter cups and sugar-coated message, but every sermon is not hellfire and brimstone either. Amen? I give the full counsels of the gospel. Amen? And it's saying right here that there were some people that were alluding that not everyone should have access to the kingdom of heaven. If you read the context of this scripture, it's saying that the goodness of God leads people to repentance. In other words, God, some people, when they receive the goodness of God, they become... Like they want to monopolize their walk with God. Like no one else has a right to the kingdom of heaven but them. They entered into the kingdom of heaven. They got the Holy Spirit. They're born again and saved. But no one else should receive the same thing. I have saw that some people have a hypocrisy when it comes to the goodness of God in their family. But when it comes to other people's families, they, don't, they deserve the wrath of God. I've been, I, I can't tell you how many street preachers I ran into. Bless their hearts. But they have a double standard. One for the people on the street and another for their household. The same love and goodness that you have towards your own family, you should be exercising to strangers because there's someone else's family as well too. This is what the Bible verse is saying. Or despises 
thou the riches of goodness. Because no one despises the riches of his goodness towards themselves. Nobody despises the riches and goodness towards their own household. But when it comes to others, rain down hell fire on them. We become like Elijah calling down hellfire. Peter 3.9. I'm almost done, folks. And we do have a complimentary free Thanksgiving meal in that room right across. Everyone is welcome. Amen. But if you want to all band in and hit the hills and leave all that food for me, I won't be mad at you either. Amen. I know about leftovers. Amen. This, this is enough food to ride us out for a couple weeks. But eat, we have, so we have enough for 10 churches, amen? Amen. It's hard cooking for a church because you never know who's going to come and who's not. And life is unpredictable. Uh, and Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us ward, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. God's goodness goes beyond what we can earn or deserve. And this is my last point, folks. In Joel 2.25, it says, I will repay for you the years of the locusts have eaten, and great locusts, and the young locusts, and other locusts, and locusts of swarms, the great army that I've sent among you. Now, some folks, this might not mean much to you if you've never lost everything. This might not mean much to you if you've never lost everything. I've lost everything that I had, including my home, my bed, my bank account, my life. I've lost my freedom. I've literally lost everything. And when God says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has taken, it means something different to me. When you see that easy come, easy go, when you see that you've lost everything and you've been broken down to the bottom of the ground and you watch God restore you, you watch God bring you back up and you watch God lift you up even higher than the way you started before him. It is, uh, it is an illustration of God's goodness. And this is my last one, folks. And I'm going to ask everyone to stand, stand with me. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Amen. This is the goodness of God that he desires this upon everyone. It's up to us to agree and declare the plans of God over us. Folks, Christians, you have a tongue. It is your obligation to declare Blessings upon yourself. Healing upon yourself. Salvation upon your family members. 
every, you, I want you to, I, I, I'll give you a homework assignment. I'll give you a homework assignment. I want you to think about the most wicked, no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel in your family. Who I don't know who that is. You do. Who is the most unforgiving, bitter, miserable person in your family? And that's the person that I want you to think upon every day and wake up and declare that they are saved, sanctified, and full of the Holy Ghost. Because it's not a personal thing. It is a spiritual thing. And it is our duty as Christians to declare this is a war. Our tongue is war. Our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty and pulling down strongholds. Amen. Declare over your family. Declare over your marriage. Declare over your household. Declare over the pastor. Declare over your children. Are you struggling financially? Well, I would say, render unto God what is God's and render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Do your due diligence, but declare over your finances to be above and beyond. Declare that your cup is overflowing. Are you struggling with something in your life? Declare over it that you're delivered, you're healed. Declare over it. It's not about declaring your feelings, your life. This is spiritual warfare, folks. And God gave us a tongue. To call the things that are not as though they were. Strongsville Christian Church, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me.